Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And in a follow-up to our last episode on how estrogen works, we're going to talk about how testosterone works. Yeah, everybody has it. Everybody has it. It affects people differently, just like estrogen. And if you're a man, it gradually declines by about 1% every year after 30. Yeah, so men, listeners over over 30, you know, there's your testosterone levels are going down as we, as we speak. speak. <laughs> uh, and testosterone, what exactly is testosterone? It is uh, part of a class of hormones called gonadotropins. Ding, 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 uh, a.k.a. sex hormones, that in men is made in large amount in the testicles. And in women, it is produced in obviously not not as great of amounts in our ovaries. Yeah. And in, in all of us, it's produced in small amounts by our adrenal glands. Mm-hmm. And uh, it helps maintain things like men's bone density, fat distribution, muscle strength and mass, red blood cell production, sex drive, and sperm production. So those all sound like good things to control. Mm-hmm. So what happens, though, if you don't have enough testosterone? Well, uh, well, you grow boobs and ovaries and you can have a baby. Nope. That's not what happens. Hypogonadism is the clinical term for low testosterone. And this happens when the body is obviously unable to produce the quote unquote normal amounts of testosterone. And an estimated two to four million American men suffer from this. And so with, uh, with primary hypogonadism, the ovaries or the testes themselves don't function properly. That's probably why you're not getting as much testosterone as you would need. Right. Central hypogonadism is when the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland don't function properly. And so the symptoms to look for when you as a man do not have enough testosterone floating around in there, breast enlargement, decreased body and facial hair, muscle loss, and sexual problems. So what what can cause lowered testosterone in men? Uh, we've got tumors on the pituitary gland, problems with the testicles themselves, injury, infections, and being overweight. Uh, researchers have found that abdominal fat actually has a greater capacity to convert testosterone to estrogen than other types of fat. Who knew? Yeah. Dang you, belly. <laughs> yes, because testosterone is normally broken down in the body's fat cells. So if you have a lot of fat, your body breaks down testosterone extra fast, leading to deficiency. So it sort of sends that into hyperdrive. And there are also things like alcohol, diet, stress, and lack of exercise that can affect a man's uh, testosterone levels as well. And um, one thing, though, I will say, like in in researching this whole low testosterone thing, it reminds me of commercials that we're now seeing more on television for medications, like specifically testosterone creams, to quote unquote cure low T, as it's often called, this uh, the, this low testosterone, and some large pharma- pharmaceutical companies um, are hunting down a cure for this. And um, I was I was watching the documentary Orgasm Inc. a couple of weeks ago, and it's all about uh, the sort of creation of a 
quote unquote disease. It's essentially, it was manufactured by, in large part by, a pharmaceutical company called Female Sexual Dysfunction. And, uh, it's this idea that, you know, if a woman doesn't have an orgasm every single time that she has uh, sexual intercourse, then that's a dysfunction. But the, there's not very much empirical evidence that this is actually a disease. And a lot of the stuff that you read about with this new, like, low T that we're suddenly hearing about everywhere, a lot of which is promoted by pharmaceutical companies, um, I, I'm skeptical of because you now see and hear pharmaceutical reps speaking of it in terms of a disease, but in the same way that female sexual dysfunction doesn't have a lot of uh, empirical data to back it up, the low T seems similarly manufactured because there are billions and billions of dollars at stake. Conspiracy theory over. Well, I mean, also the fact that it's just called low T instead of just uh, lower than normal levels of testosterone or hypogonadism. Like, let's create a name for something that we want to pour money into to fix, quote unquote, so that we can get a lot back on our investment. Right. And that's not to say that hypogonadism does not exist. That's not to say that there aren't some women who like have there is a physiological problem with uh you know their their orgasm functions um but it's more a thing of manufacturing a widespread disease of saying right. like seeing a commercial and saying well I feel I feel tired I feel fatigued I don't want to have sex all the time I need this right well okay so uh, going to our trusty source Mayo Clinic Testosterone therapy is not a bad thing. I mean, it's not a bad thing. If you have lower levels of testosterone and you need therapy, then by all means, go out and seek it. It can help reverse the effects of hypogonadism. But according to Mayo, it's really unclear whether such therapy can actually help older men who are otherwise healthy. So, like, if you're just feeling kind of kind of sleepy and maybe, like, you don't want to go out and play, like, you know, full contact sports every day or something, that you need to all of a sudden start taking testosterone. That's just not the case. Well, and there's also, you know, the Mayo Clinic would also warn that uh, let's consider the fact that, A, like we've mentioned, testosterone levels naturally begin to decline after the age of 30. And um, doctors, when they test for testosterone levels, good doctors at least, will not want to take one blood sample and say, oh, well, this is your testosterone level because those levels change throughout the day and will vary day to day. So you want to have that tested multiple times to establish, you know, an actual, a more accurate view of of where it really is. Right. And testosterone therapy definitely should, I mean... It, it technically should only be used to raise your testosterone to a normal level, not to raise it to somewhere because you think you need to be like Mr. Muscle Man, mm-hmm. like the brawny man in his plaid shirt. Whew. Anyway, so there are a lot of risks associated with testosterone therapy, so you really need to talk to your doctor. In 2010, researchers actually halted a study of testosterone therapy in older men because of a of such an increased rate of cardiovascular problems, such as heart attack. But there are so many other risks that come with it. It may contribute to sleep apnea. It could cause your body to make too many red blood cells, which increases the risk of heart disease. It can cause acne and skin reactions, stimulate non-cancerous growth of the prostate, enlarge breasts, and limit sperm production or cause testicle shrinkage. Yeah, so it's the same kind of thing when uh, you're producing 
too little testosterone and you start to get those uh, unwanted physical side effects, same thing happens, can happen when there's too much of it. Yeah, it or can backfire. T- yeah, and you'll, you'll see that a lot um, associated with uh, men who take steroids. Right. So there are, Kristen, other therapies out there. Yeah? Natural therapies. Like what, like the horny goat weed or... So to speak, uh, scientists are making a case for masturbation. If you have uh, not too low of a level of uh, testosterone, if you're just looking for a boost... Uh, researchers at the Yerke Center for Primate Research at Emory University here in Atlanta said, hey, it works for monkeys. Yeah. Let's all do it. So they found that uh, monkeys that see sexually active female monkeys register as much as a 400% jump in testosterone. And they are not the only ones who have noticed things like this. German researchers found that just having an erection is enough to spur testosterone levels and there's no difference, they said, whether the man is watching sex on TV or having it in real life. So that's interesting. What comes first, the erection or the testosterone? Sounds like the testo- or the erection, but I guess you would still need some testosterone to, to get that erection going. This isn't how erections work, but, um, <laughs> but it does, but it is interesting though, because a lot of times we probably have that relationship flipped in our brain. Um, now Rutgers University researcher Helen Fisher, who we have referenced on the podcast many times, also had some advice for men in quote unquote captivity situations. Oh, Helen, this is what, this is what Helen calls uh, men who are married with children. And she advises that they just go online and look at porn as a kind of hormone replacement therapy because she says, quote, porn drives up dopamine levels, which drives up your testosterone while just making out with your wife isn't going to isn't going to do much. It actually drives it drives it down. Yeah. Well, Harvard, Harvard did a study in 2003 that found that men in committed romantic relationships had 21% lower testosterone levels than men not involved in such relationships. Yeah, but here's the thing with, uh, and I, I went off on, on our Tumblr page, stuffmomnevertoldyou.tumblr.com a while ago about, um, these testosterone uh, relationship correlates because a couple years ago there was this finding that was publicized everywhere about how men with children have lower testosterone than men without kids. How and and then there was one this past year saying like if you have any contact with babies whatsoever your testosterone is lower and that was you know that sent the media screaming saying oh oh no the fatherhood is it's challenging our virility and manhood what are we going to do? Whereas the researchers were saying, no, 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 you, you didn't actually read this full, <laughs> this full study because lower tes- these lower levels of testosterone are actually a good thing that help keep men alive longer and maybe mediates aggressive behavior in a right. way that could be good for that child. It's not turning men into s- just lifeless sandbags. <laughs> right. No, exactly. And I think um, a good transition from that is to talk about a study uh, that was in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology in October 2006, because just like we're saying that lower testosterone in a relationship, it's not like it, you're becoming less of a man. Right. It's just that, like, according to these researchers, you, 
you're just off the market. You're not in like prime mate seeking mode. You know, you're comfortable in your, your committed relationship. And so these researchers, uh, in this study found that men in relationships who report cheating on their partners or even who just say they'd consider it have levels of testosterone that are about as high as those in single men. So that ties into the whole thing of like, it's, it's more of like the aggressive mate seeking, I'm going to have sex with everybody attitude in your brain. Well, it's interesting though, because if we're talking about uh, testosterone levels in relationships, uh, these similar studies have found that while uh, men in relationships will have lower, and this is initially in the relationship, uh, will have the lower testosterone. Women's testosterone levels tend to rise though. Once they get into a relationship, but maybe that also on the flip side has to do with, um, you know, that initial passion and lust that eventually wears away into nights of sleep pants and falling asleep in front of the couch. Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, wistful. And I think it's worth noting, though, too, that we can never attribute one hormone to like such a complex behavior as say sexual attraction even with something like cheating you know there this study indicates that may maybe a higher level of testosterone leads men to cheat more but then that also you know that doesn't take into account um any kind of like psychological factors mm-hmm. or genetic factors that scientists are looking more into you know there there's we shouldn't pin the blame for positive or negative behavior on one thing. And speaking of negative behavior, though, really wanted to look into the link between testosterone and aggression. Because I, fi- I feel like when we think about what does testosterone do to people, specifically to men, it makes them muscular, horny, and aggressive. Yeah, right. The perception of men being like super aggressive because of their testosterone and women being these shrinking violets who, you know, want everybody to be happy all the time. Aggression is actually pretty equal opportunity as as far as gender is concerned and uh, as far as domestic violence for instance, um because men are physically stronger, more women are injured, but women still fight back with slaps and less visibly injurious forms of abuse. Yeah, when it comes to uh, domestic violence statistics, uh, I, I, I want to say about 40% of victims are actually men, victims of female-on-male violence. And that's just talking about physical violence. But there was an article in Scientific American looking into whether or not testosterone is just fueling this aggression. And uh, they point out that women and girls are simply more likely to exact something called relational aggression, which would involve things like backbiting, social isolation, gossiping, uh, which might be more of a product of socialization. And that notion was popularized uh, by books like Odd Girl Out, The Hidden Culture of Aggression in Girls by Rachel Simmons, which came out in 2002. Um, so it's it's like uh, essentially the aggression happens, but there's more the gender difference in the manifestation of how how it goes out. Because, you know, women are more socialized against physical violence. There is a gender gap in physical strength, which makes sense as to why, you know, men are a little more pugilistic, whereas women tend to be they take out their aggression more verbally and emotionally. That's interesting. So do you think that's saying that like. Girls are women who actively try to, 
you know, gossip and turn people against each other are just as aggressive as men who get into bar fights? Like, do you think that some of these things can be equated? I think that you could make that argument. Um, uh, there, there is one, one, uh, exception though to this rule of, uh, of aggression, like men, in terms of, of physical aggression in the animal kingdom, and that is the spotted hyena. The female spotted hyena is actually more aggressive than her male counterparts, and studies have found that, uh, she does in fact have higher testosterone levels than the male hyenas do. So, Watch out if you are on a safari for <laughs> hyenas, because that happens a lot. Um, and Robert M. Sapolsky, uh, who wrote in the essay, The Trouble with Testosterone, also points out that we have the testosterone-aggression relationship backwards. He says that aggression itself actually stimulates the testosterone secretion, not vice versa. It's not that we have, you know, there's some flood of testosterone and men just all of a sudden need to start breaking beer bottles over people's head. And that it actually exaggerates, the testosterone does, the aggression that is already there. And also, uh, there was a 2009 study published in Nature which found that testosterone is more linked to status-seeking behavior rather than aggression due to human social behavior. Like the, the researchers who were published in Nature were making the claim that a lot of our uh, beliefs about testosterone and aggression are focused solely on animal studies that don't take into account human socialization that would devalue a bar brawl. Like we, we wouldn't, we, we don't think that that is a good thing. So testosterone in men might more fuel status seeking mm-hmm. rather than punching you in the face. Hmm. Didn't isn't this the study also that mentioned that women who thought they had been given a testosterone dose were, were acting more aggressive? Right. Right. Because and just it's like the social perception. Yeah, uh one of the researchers actually told Time magazine talking about that that specific uh sort of placebo effect in women uh that it's not the hormone but the myth surrounding the hormone that induced aggressiveness. Right. So it's interesting how these these preconceived notions that we have about hormones might temper our uh, emotions as well. Yeah, because the women who actually did receive the testosterone and didn't know it, that just fostered more cooperative mm-hmm. behavior. And so that ties into the whole status status seeking, not status seeking like I'm going to be the most popular kid in school, but like I'm going to work better with people. Which we could now delve into a philosophical <laughs> thing on. We think, therefore, we are, and then this podcast will never end. It won't end. We'll just keep talking. We'll use the word heteronormative a lot and uh-huh. just, yeah, just keep talking. So uh-huh. well, what about sex, Kristen? What about sex. it? Well, I think that uh, some of the researchers pointed out, too, that while obviously, you know, testosterone does play a role in sex drive, it's not the end-all, be-all, because estrogen also for women plays a role in our sex drive. And um, this was another thing that came up in Orgasm, Inc., where researchers were initially touting um, testosterone as the cure for 
women uh, who might have a lower sex drive, but it's not really the case. They were talking to Kim Wallen, who's the lead researcher over at the Yerkes Center at Emory University, and he's observed for his entire career relationships, sexual relationships between monkeys, and uh, they were interviewing him and asking him the number one thing he had learned was to pay more attention to the female because he says that the role of testosterone and estrogen in whether or not people are going to have sex is probably overblown and that from his observations among these primate populations is that context is a lot more important than simply hormones. Right. So if if the male monkey takes the female monkey to dinner and the female monkey feels pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe she's wearing a nice dress that night. She put a little bow in her fur. <laughs> so, okay, so what happens when women have elevated testosterone? We mentioned polycystic ovarian syndrome in our last episode on estrogen, but uh, we, we can get a little bit more into it now since we're talking about testosterone. Um, basically, a lot of uh, things can happen when um, testosterone is overproduced in women. It leads to the development of typically male characteristics. It also can lead to things like changing body shape, increase in body hair, enlargement of the clitoris, increase in muscle mass, etc. And um, but also though, this was uh, a, from a University of Michigan study um, that found that uh, heightened levels of testosterone in women also did not lead to a jacked up sex drive like wanting to have sex with someone else but did lead women to want to masturbate more. Hmm. So there was also uh, a study talking about sex drive in uh, women in particular when it comes to testosterone. Uh, This is in the Archives of Sexual Behavior in May 2012. Researchers found that testosterone was linked with a reduced desire to have sex among women, but a higher desire to masturbate. So less the ladies want to have less sex with partners and more solo sex. So just a different form of of sexual yeah. desire. They're not as driven to have that like person to person connection, maybe, and and they're more just wanting to do it for pleasure. Just maybe just in search of that of of an orgasm. Um, this was reported on in Live Science, and the study was also telling because not only did it look at uh, women, but it also looked at a healthy population, and this is important, a healthy population of men as well with normal levels of testosterone. And uh, these University of Michigan behavioral neuroendocrinologists uh, posited that their findings debunked the link between testosterone and sex drive because uh, they found that in the men in the healthy range, when they gave them an extra shot of testosterone, it did not seem to influence any interest in having sex. And from that, they uh, they drew the conclusion that the idea that testosterone fuels sex drive is an idea based on animal studies and studies of men who produce extreme or abnormally low levels of testosterone. And speaking to Life Science, one of the lead researchers said, quote, in this regular healthy range of testosterone, it's high enough that the variations aren't what's driving any changes. So again, we find that sex drive, like all of these behavioral aspects that we're talking about, is multifaceted. And while testosterone is certainly an ingredient, it is not the entire dish. Right. Right. Nice metaphor. Thank you. 
Okay, so we talked about how elevated testosterone in women can lead them to, you know, stray away from sex with a partner. You know, it raises... But still still at masturbating. Exactly, yes. So what else does it do? We also touched on polycystic ovarian syndrome in our last episode on estrogen. So what does... What happens, basically? When a woman has elevated testosterone, it has several effects, not only internally but externally, things like the body shape changes. There's an increase in body hair, enlargement of the clitoris, increase in muscle mass. Women can even experience male pattern balding. Yeah, and if you want to learn more about uh, PICOS in depth, we do have an entire episode. It's a little bit uh, back in our archives, but we do have an entire episode dedicated to that because uh, PICOS is a problem for a lot of women. We had a lot of uh, listeners write in about that episode because it can be extremely hard to diagnose because a lot of the symptoms doctors initially think are attributed to other things and not necessarily levels of testosterone. So it's good to learn more about that. Educate educate yourself about PICOS as well. Yeah. Well, so something that I found really interesting when, when we were studying for this episode was the whole thing with sex hormones, sex traits, and athletes. Because uh, this really came up in the 2012 Summer Olympics. Uh, it was the IOC, the International Olympic Committee's plan to prevent from competing women who tested in the male range for testosterone and whose bodies responded to the hormone. So why did they want to do this? Back in 2009 at the World Championship, South African runner Castor Semenya's sex was questioned, and she wasn't allowed to compete for a year, after which time she was reinstated. Yeah, and it raised this whole question that is really uh, worth talking about in these episodes on how testosterone and how estrogen work, of how we associate the levels of these hormones with gender, gender identification, and biological sex to point out not only, you know, the fluidity of gender, yes, but also the fluidity of biological sex because the IOC wanted to essentially use testosterone levels, a a benchmark level of that to say, well, if you're above this, then guess what? You're a guy. And if you're below this, then you are a woman, which you really cannot do at all. Because even if you take physical characteristics of, uh, say, secondary sex traits like your genitalia into account, even then with the hormone levels combined, you can't necessarily say, well, this is what, you know, exactly what a man is and this is exactly what a woman is because of things like, say, congenital adrenal hyperplasia. Right, that's a condition that causes what they call ambiguous genitalia, including enlarged clitorises that may look like small penises. And they point out that women with this disorder might fail an exam for sex, even though she has ovaries and a uterus. Yeah, and then you also have things like complete androgen insensitivity syndrome, where uh, chromosomally you have the, the XY, so the normal makeup for a man, but their bodies aren't responsive to testosterone. So despite having an XY chromosome, these people will develop female genitalia and breasts, but they have testes and not ovaries. And so they would fail a test of femaleness based on chromosomes, though they generally, people with complete androgen insensitivity syndrome, tend to live their lives 
as women. Yeah. And so Kristen was talking about how you can't just simply say that if your testosterone level is here, you can compete as a man or a woman, you know, and vice versa. If it's not, you can't. Um, British endocrinologist Peter Songson's 2000, year 2000, analysis of 650 Olympic athletes found that 5% of women tested in the male range for testosterone and more than 6% of men tested in the female range. So if all of a sudden we're drawing a line in the sand, that that really affects a whole lot of athletes. Well, and also think about when we were talking uh, in how estrogen works, about how lower levels of, extremely low levels of body fat in women tends to lower the level of uh, testosterone or estrogen being produced. And so that could also, you know, if you're thinking about elite athletes, I'm sure they have very low body fat percentages, so they might have lower uh, estrogen than the, the typical female population. So there are all of these variations when it comes to estrogen, testosterone, and their behavioral, physiological, and biological effects on our bodies. Yeah. Hormones are wonky, people. Yeah. They do all sorts of things. But saying that testosterone makes you a man and estrogen makes you a woman is not the case. Because we make some of both, and some people make more of each than others, and some people are ins- completely insensitive to uh, some hormones compared to others. And whew. and we're all different. Let's just hammer that home one more time. <laughs> Everybody's a little bit different. Yep. Yeah. So I think that that covers testosterone, estrogen. Whew. Yeah, monkeys taking each other on dates. That's right. Monkey dates. I feel uh, more enlightened, and I hope that you feel more enlightened as well. If uh, there's anything on your mind about testosterone, estrogen, hormones in general that you would like to chat with us about, you can always send us an email at momstuffatdiscovery.com or hit us up on Facebook and like us there while you're at it. But before we get to a couple of letters to share with you... All right, well, the first letter I've got here is from Debbie, and this is in response to our episode about empty nest syndrome. She says, I'm the younger of two daughters, so that first Saturday after I left for college was the day it really hit my parents that the nest was empty. Unsure what to do, they ended up watching some infomercials and bought a Showtime rotisserie oven. The next Saturday, they purchased the entire line of Orange Glow products. Then the Saturday after that, they decided to go out to breakfast because it would be cheaper. Thirteen years later, they still go to breakfast at that same local restaurant nearly every Saturday morning. Also, I moved back in with my parents a few months after I graduated college, and I would join them some Saturdays. So in a weird twist, the daughter that returned to the nest was participating also in the empty nest coping strategy. And the restaurant has these amazing potato cheese bacon things called not-so-fries that I have to order when I'm visiting my parents, even though it's breakfast, because I get to go so rarely. Yum. Yum, indeed. <laughs> yeah, I like that they purchased the entire line of Orange Glow products. <laughs> and I'm, I assume, like, set out to furiously clean the house, after which they were like, well, what do we do now? They hope, just look at each other. I hope Two and a Half Men is on. <laughs> Sally and Chad were looking at you. Okay, here's a letter from Michelle about our Rhythm Method podcast. She said, my mom was using the Rhythm Method when she got pregnant with me. 
She was actually planning on joining the military and had gone off to basic training before she was discovered she was pregnant. Once she realized what was going on, she decided to stay, hoping she could get away with finishing the training. She was discovered two weeks from the end of training, and her options were to leave or get an abortion. She ended up leaving and never did join the military since she would have to start basic training all over again. I think it's sort of a funny story about my beginnings and a cautionary tale about depending on the rhythm method for birth control. So thanks to everybody who's written into momstuff at discovery.com. It's where you can send your letters. You can also find us on Facebook, like us there, follow us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast, and you can check us out on Tumblr as well. You can tumble with us at stuffmomnevertoldyou.tumblr.com. And if you'd like to learn more about testosterone, hormones, and all the crazy things that our bodies do, you can head to our website. It's howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 